0: Welcome to the Women Leadership Nation's Breaking Barriers podcast. Our podcast was created to provide a safe space where women can share inspiring stories, real life experiences, and new ideas for how to break barriers, overcome challenges, and grow their career and selves. The podcast features incredible interviews with inspiring women, as well as a series of sessions that are focused on how you can grow as a purpose driven leader how you can advance your career, and how you can achieve all the goals you set for yourself personally and professionally. We're just getting started, and we want you along for the journey. Follow us on Instagram at latticerjennifer, and also visit our website at WomenLeadershipNation.com. Deborah Gillis is the President and CEO of the CAMH Foundation. As a recognized thought leader on gender equality, diversity and inclusion, Deborah has dedicated her career to driving social change. Deborah's unique blend of passion, strategic vision and entrepreneurial spirit is helping her lead CAMH Foundation and transforming how Canadians understand and address mental illness in the workplace and in society. Deborah has received national and international accolades for her advocacy efforts and business achievements. In 2016, she was named one of Canadian Business Magazine's 10 Most Powerful Business People and was awarded the Foreign Policy Association Medal. In 2017, she was appointed to the Canada United States Council for Advancement of Women Entrepreneurs and Business Leaders and also accepted an honorary Doctor of Law from Cape Breton University for dedicating her life's work to advocating for women's rights and equality. She also serves on the Board of Governors at the St. Francis Xavier University. And now I would like to welcome Deborah to the Woman Leadership Nation's Breaking Barriers podcast. So thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. I'm really happy to be with you. Thanks for inviting me, Jennifer. So I, you know, I've, uh, I followed you a little bit and saw some of the, your journey, your career journey is so interesting. And so I really am excited to get into it before we do. the one question I ask everybody is, so when you were younger, what did you want to be?
1: When I was young, I wanted to be a lawyer. And uh, I set off on a path believing that I would be a constitutional lawyer so there's a story behind that that I'm happy to share
0: yeah that would be great because you know as a young child to even know that is a possibility what you know is really interesting
1: yeah I, I probably started talking about you know wanting to be a lawyer when I was really pretty young and then um when I was in school, you know, I guess probably maybe grade nine, grade 10, um, I remember distinctly one of my uh, school classes watching the televised uh, decision for from the Supreme Court of Canada for the patriation reference mm-hmm. um, for the Constitution. And at that time, I was really captivated by the work of a group of women who advocated for the inclusion of equality rights in the Charter of Rights and Freedom. And so from there was this inspiration that the role that lawyers play can have a really big impact on changing people's lives and making a difference. And and that's kind of the path that I set out on. And know ironically ended up doing work that was certainly aligned in those areas but never did
0: become a lawyer right but yeah like you said your your work later on in life definitely was inspired by that and you've you've made incredible progress in that side so I'd love to hear tell us a little bit about your journey then what did you you know in terms of even what you started studying and then sort of how your career evolved
1: yeah, so I, I, when I graduated from high school, I certainly, as I said, had that um, plan or intention in mind. And so when I went to university, um, I studied and took courses in constitutional law, in the Charter of Rights, um, and, and that led me um, to appear before a select committee of the Ontario Legislature. was examining the Meech Lake Constitutional Accord. I wrote my master's thesis in that area and when I graduated from university was hired by the Ontario Ministry of Intergovernmental Affairs. And so my first job out of university was working on the negotiation of the Meech Lake Accord and then followed that with the Charlottetown Constitutional Accord. So I very quickly Got involved in, you know, pretty big, important issues at the time. It was pretty exciting as a young person to be working on something that was, you know, so important to the future of the country. And then later on had had opportunity to work on issues in particular related related to gender equality and the advocacy
0: of of rights for various uh, marginalized communities. Yeah, we share some common interests. So I quit my job about, I was a director of economic development for the city of Vaughan. And I left my job about six years ago, just to dedicate to helping to close the gender gap. And, you know, it's it's something that you're, you have to be driven and passionate about. But, you know, it's for you what, uh, you know, maybe seeing that from a young age, you were able to be surrounded by would you say inspiring people that saw it made you realize you can make a difference as well?
1: Yeah, for sure. I did. You know, it's, it's interesting. Um, some years after I had been working at Catalyst, um, which is an organization that supports women's advancement in business, I was cleaning out, you know, the boxes that you keep in your closet or in your basement full of old treasures. And one of the things that I found in, In one of my boxes was the debate notes from um, that I had prepared in high school. And the topic was, be it resolved that women earn the same as men. (laughs) And so, again, it was one of those reminders of how from a kind of early age, the issue of gender equality was one that I was really interested in Mm -hmm. and uh, and having the opportunity to, as you've chosen to find work that was focused on supporting women, breaking down those barriers. And, and ultimately, I think about it as ensuring that women have choices to make um, in terms of their career and the options, and that that their that their options aren't limited by virtue of bias or stereotypes or barriers that might prevent them from achieving their full potential, that was really, you know, important to me. And, you know, I would say that I was, that I benefited throughout my entire career Mm -hmm. from uh, mentors, from sponsors, both men and women who really helped me, offered me opportunities, gave me coaching, advice, mentorship along the way, that positioned me and and gave me the opportunity to, to have the kinds of roles that I've been lucky enough to have in my career.
0: Are you uh, seeing like a significant shift? I know when I started my career, it was in venture capital and it was, uh, there was only one other woman in the Uh, whole business and it was a different environment (laughs) and you know and then I you know in other roles I had in government and and things like there was always issues that I would surface and but yet I feel like in the last few years there's a significant shift or momentum that I really feel like we're going to break through Um, are you seeing that as well?
1: I'm optimistic, um, and as you say, I think conversations have certainly shifted. You know, I described over the twelve years that I spent at Catalyst that at in the early days of my time at Catalyst, the conversation was always essentially, "Well, give me the business case for why having more women in leadership roles matters." And over the course of again of those twelve years the conversation shifted from tell me why or show me why or give me the data to what do I need to do? Mm -hmm. How can I help? Um, I want to help. I understand. And, and I think that that fundamental shift from, you know, prove to me that there's a business case to, I get it. um, And I want to help and what can I do? And that was the, the, that significant shift on the part of, business leaders, and frankly, leaders in all sectors is what makes me most optimistic. And I think it is what contributes to some of what you see as momentum. That said, Mm -hmm. the data continues to show um, that the majority of leadership positions, certainly in business, but in other sectors as well is are held by largely predominantly white men. And Mm -hmm. that's something that needs to shift But there's certainly conversation and intentional effort being put into um, removing those barriers and and helping to change what's going on in those organizations.
0: Yeah, I think based on some of the research I've done in the past few years is I'm also seeing like a shift between, like you said, people wanting to know how to make the change, but also a recognition that um, there needs to be more of a holistic model. Like you can't, organizations can't just start a committee for women and think that everything's going to change and that they need to actually look at all of the different components related to it. So, you know, your time there then, what, you know, now based on the role you're in now, what, what made you, um, because you're so passionate about it, you moved to another area that is also giving back to society. What made you make that transition?
1: Yeah, it's a question I've been asked um, many times, and particularly when I announced that I was leaving Catalyst, where um, I had been serving um, as the global CEO of Catalyst based out of New York City. And, you know, kind of to your comment, Jennifer, people who knew me or worked with me during that time would certainly um, say that I had my dream job. And that was true um, in many, many respects. Um, On a personal level, um, I got to a point where um, being away from home, being away from friends and family, um, not having the social supports and connections that I had um, as I was living in New York, that I I found that challenging on a personal level. I thought it was time for new leadership and new ideas in that organization. And so I, I, would had some kind of personal um, shifts in my own life that made me open to thinking about doing something different and particularly that would bring me back to Canada.
0: Right.
1: And, um, I knew that I would only do purpose or mission driven work, Mm -hmm. um, and, there was no mission that felt more compelling to me than the issue of advocacy and work around mental health. Um, Like the one in five Canadians who experience mental illness in in their life, um, certainly for me, for my friends and family, the issue has uh, touched me and us personally. Mm -hmm. And and I felt that this was a place where I could make a difference. New challenge as a leader, new sector, lots of learning. So the personal challenges, but also a mission that I felt really passionately about. And you know, I've said to people um, in many ways, while most see the shift from gender equality and and advocacy in that area to mental health as very different. I actually think about them as a continuum. Mm -hmm. And to me, this is the connective tissue there is that the work is about ensuring that every person has the right to live their life to their fullest potential, whether it's bias and stereotypes Mm -hmm. for women in business, or whether it's stigma and the societal pressures that those living with mental illness face, we need to build an inclusive society where every person mm-hmm. is accepted for who they are and has the opportunity to achieve their potential. And so I see a lot of continuity from my perspective in, in um, av- av- bringing and becoming an advocate in this area.
0: Yeah, I actually see the interconnection so strongly as well and feel like a lot of what you've learned and developed at Catalyst is definitely something that can translate and you bring in a freshened, new perspective to be able to help this issue. And, um, you know, I I did a TED Talk a while ago and publicly for the first time and uh, now talked about the, the fact that my mother has... Um, She, I grew up with her having schizophrenia, um, bipolar, and it was a, and she was in and out of the hospital sometimes a year at a time. Right. And it was something I never talked about before. And again, it just like with, um, and I think it was partly because, um, and even when she would want to talk to me about it, I didn't want to hear it because I think it was the fear of, if I know about it, then I have to deal with it. Or what if it's genetic, you know, you start to have all these fears. And as um, you know, the time has come, I realized that was such a huge mistake. And I'm so glad that there's uh, organizations like yours and people like you that are going out there and destigmatizing the fact that mental health is like you say, health. And if you don't have that, you can't be a good leader. And, you know, Um, there's so much pressure on women, especially, right? For sure. And Jennifer, I really appreciate you
1: sharing that with me and the listeners today, but taking that step of talking about your mother's illness and how, how you experienced it, because I do think that that's a big part of the issue is um, how many people, and this is to my earlier comment, how many people either don't seek the help that they need Because of that fear or stigma of how they will be um, treated or perceived by others, both people they work with or people they love. Mm -hmm. Um, And the same stigma that is carried by family members. Mm -hmm. You know, you might feel very comfortable in having a conversation with your colleagues to say, my mother was diagnosed with cancer and she's in Mm -hmm. hospital being treated. Yeah. But you didn't feel comfortable in having the same conversation with, you know, your colleagues or friends to say your mother was sick Mm -hmm. with schizophrenia and was being treated in hospital. And so, so much of the stigma busting to me is, again, about letting people be uh, treated fairly and respectfully and with dignity and without the stigma that will hold them back. And, you know, we've certainly seen during the pandemic, the intersection between mental health issues and other populations, whether it is racialized communities or women that have been disproportionately impacted by the pandemic and the stress that that's created for them we need to bring a real intersectional lens to how we think about and talk about these issues and again for me personally why I don't see the I see this as a natural extension of the work that I've been
0: doing for many years yeah I think with COVID I mean we we're seeing, you know, issues that maybe were always there that are being exacerbated with the fact that you do have so much more on your plate and you're, you're in a sense disconnected as well. And so, you know, do you have any advice for those, those individuals, men and women that might be at home that are um, you know, some of these issues are surfacing, more so and maybe more front and center because of some of the challenges related to COVID?
1: Well, the the first thing that I'd say is that CAMH has created a resource hub um, that you can find at CAMH.ca. There is a COVID-19 resource hub that has a series of really helpful tools from how to talk to your kids to how to cope and manage with stress during this time. And so that's a place that you can go. There's also some assessment tools there where you can answer some questions that might help you understand whether what you're experiencing is perfectly normal response to the situation that we're all living in, or whether there's something happening that may be more serious and where you need, um, may need to get some, some different help. Um, and I, I think that that's the key thing I mean, to me, a couple of things are really important is one that acknowledgement that how we're all feeling right now is a normal response to the situation that we're in. For some people, it can be, and is, um, more serious and where some support may be needed and help may be needed, um, professionally mm-hmm. and that we need to ask for it. Um, without fear of, you know, judgment or question or or any of those things. The other thing that I would say is, um, you know, particularly for those of us in a work context who are not seeing our colleagues in the same ways that we might have done prior to the pandemic, um, just to really be watching for differences in people's behaviors, whether that's, again, work colleagues or, friends and family? Do you see people acting really differently in terms of their behavior? Are they withdrawing and and not being part of planned interactions? Are they, in a work context, missing deadlines that they wouldn't have done before? Those changes in behavior can often be a sign that that something is going on. Mm -hmm. And starting a conversation with someone that really know, that really starts with, I've noticed something's different. Are Mm -hmm. you okay?
0: That's very very approachable, right? You're not saying it's just, yeah. And it kind of, it's better than are you, you know, how are you doing? Because people are starting to just, yeah, I'm fine. But the fact that you say, I noticed something's different, kind of catches them off guard and makes them open up, hopefully, and genuinely caring, right? Exactly.
1: Exactly right. And it shows, you know, that as you say, it shows the caring and attentiveness um, that mm-hmm. you're actually paying attention to someone and what might be going on for them. So I think just opening up a conversation in that way um, and creating a space where someone, you know, can answer that question um, is, uh, is important um, okay. to do, particularly at this moment when we know that that many people are struggling for lots of different reasons. Um, this has been an incredibly challenging time.
0: Yeah. And, you know, even like you mentioned kids as well. And I think like I had mentioned before, I have two children. Uh, well, we have many children, but we have two that are in our home that are going to school. Um, and, you know, we've been stricter on the COVID restrictions and making and not allowing them to have friends or so even social distance. And, So, you know, we've been really cautious of trying to um, find other ways for them to interact, but recognizing that even our children could be struggling as well and trying to find ways, um, you know, any advice for, you know, how we deal with our children as well to kind of check in with them.
1: Yeah, I mean, I do think that the checking in is really important too. And, and as with, with, all the conversations that you would have with your children. It's trying to explain concepts to them in ways that they can understand and relate to. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, um, I'd encourage you and, and listeners to, to check out the resources on, on our website at camh.ca and specific tools there that we've created Mm -hmm. for conversations with children, um, and young people in particular as well. Um, You know, it's been tough time for um, teenagers who are, you know, just really struggling um, through uh, for them some critical times in their lives and moments that they're missing that are really difficult for them.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think back to my teenage years and I can't imagine like those are the fun times in your life when you're going out and you have that freedom. Right. And um, so we do have a teenage daughter. And one thing i like to share that she's done that we're really proud of her for is she's actually reached out to she's in grade 11 and she's reached out to Ryerson and she's volunteering on the radio and she's reached out to the Vaughn Film Festival and she's volunteering virtually. There's you know, trying to get the kids to engage with the community. I think there's there's certainly opportunities for that as well. Um, and then on a co- business side, you know, it is. Would you say there's still also the opportunity now that everybody can see each other's homes and sometimes their kids that maybe this has helped open up the conversation of mental health a little bit more because you know employers are seeing what their employees are dealing with at home sometimes.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's certainly been one of the interesting things that this new virtual world has meant is that we've got eyes into people's homes in a way that we just never would have had. And I do hope that there's some positives that come out of this time. As you say, it has been so clear and that so many people have struggled in terms of their mental health and the stress and the anxiety and the depression and the isolation and all of those things that people have felt, that Mm -hmm. I hope that the result of that will be that it will be easier to have conversations about it, that in some ways the stigma is going to get reduced because... It's become real for everybody and every yeah. family. It's it's not sort of someone else. Um, it it's in our faces every single day. And and I hope that that will open some things up that that perhaps had been more difficult in the past. I do think that this has been a time, you know, to your comment of, you know, you're having a meeting and there's kids in the background yeah. or a dog barking or Amazon's ringing the bell or whatever's <laughs> going on. Um, that this has been a time when leadership and demonstrating both empathy and openness and understanding for all of those things has also been important. And, uh, and I think that, that leaders have really stepped up in lots of different ways, um, in responding to this environment, because again, we're, we're all experiencing it, um, whoever we are and whatever our roles are in organizations. But um, it's certainly a way that uh, is important to help support
0: staff during this time. That's actually another question that I have. Um, so I am I'm taking I'm doing my PhD right now, and the topic that I'm focusing on is the impact of the virtual workplace, because there's a lot of organizations that I'm talking to that um, are really talking about this being a longer term, even a hybrid model but i wonder even from a gender gap perspective and also from the uh, h- mental health perspective does what does that do to either widen or or close the gap on both in terms of you know some of the effects that virtual workplace yes it allows for certain things but it also makes things a little bit more difficult in some ways
1: yeah it's really i mean it's an interesting question jennifer because you know, part of what we're dealing with right now is not virtual work in a typical context, right? right. So it's one thing to work from home and to work uh, virtually for some or all of a week. Mm-hmm. It's a different thing to be working from home when you're also teaching your kids who are yeah. <laughs> at school at sitting across from you at the dining room table. It's also different when you can't end your work day and go out and meet your friends or colleagues for dinner or take your kids to a movie or whatever it might be. So we're mm-hmm. not working in a typical virtual environment. So it it's a bit hard to translate the experience that we've all had over these last, you know, more than a year with what a model might look like going forward. I do think, you know, and it's been interesting to see the data that has, has talked about the impact of the pandemic and the virtual working world on women and women's careers Mm-hmm. It has certainly been challenging for women in terms of continuing those care roles for kids and and family members, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's been studies that have, for example, in the area of scientific research, that have talked about women having less time mm-hmm. to write grants and get the support that they need. And so, the question is, what's the long term implication on women's careers? If during this period, for example, the reality of the world that we're living in and what we've been juggling has meant that women have not been able to take some of those steps forward in terms of their career progression. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's a lot of issues, I think, that organizations are going to, to be thinking about um, as we start to transition to the next phase of, of what this looks like.
0: Yeah, and like you said, with all that uncertainty and even some some studies that I've read in terms of, you know, when we do go back to work, if it's optional, if if it will be that such that we still have that this homeschooling and if more a greater proportion of men are the ones that are going back to the office versus the women. So it's, it's really an interesting time. And I think that, and I don't know if you agree, this is a time where we can't just sit still, we need to be even more, you know, vocal about making sure that we continue to move in the right direction.
1: I think all of those things are, are true. And again, as, as I said, there, there are things we're going to need to have some to pay some intentional attention to mm-hmm. as organizations are, are, you know, thinking about the future to me, the the key thing in what you just said about, you know, will men have more options in terms of going back to the workplace versus women? To me, that's a broad conversation about, who is in a position to make choices um, mm-hmm. about where they work and how they work. And I, again, I think that's one of the things that the pandemic has exposed in terms of inequities in our society, who has choices to work safely from their home, who doesn't have that choice. Um, and, Again, that's certainly been exposed during the pandemic in a way that I I hope will contribute to some, you know, really systemic change um, in lots of different ways, not only for women and their experience, but in particular for racialized communities in our country.
0: So I'd love to ask you the question, how excited are you being back in Canada? (laughs) (laughs)
1: Super excited! Um, I was, you know, I've I've been back. I've started my role at CAMH Foundation. Um, it was three years early in April, so it was wonderful to come back. Um, it was uh, um, when I was living in the U.S. It was a difficult period, um, and so it, it's it was nice to be back in in Canada and to be surrounded by you know, friends and family and social networks and nice. not to feel some of that sense of social isolation that I felt when I was living in the States um, and really missing both um, that those connections, but also sometimes just not understanding.
0: <laughs> my my son, actually, he lives in California. So I am. Yeah, we so, you know, I also, I, I wonder, so you're, you know, you lead an, a mess, massive team and you lead a team of individuals that are helping so many that are struggling right now. How do you support the those individuals, the healthcare professionals, the, your entire team? How do you support them so that they can help others during this difficult time?
1: Yeah, I love that question and I appreciate um, that comment very much. Um, you know, I would say, first of all, one of the things that I've said to my team consistently over the last, um, you know, number of months is, um, to really come at what we're dealing with from a place of gratitude. And I mean that to say, and I've said it to them that every day that I wake up, and I may be feeling down and discouraged and tired and not knowing, you know, how I can keep going through another day of, of this world. The thing that really grounds me is the purpose. Um, and when you know every day that what you're doing is having a direct and positive impact on someone else who is struggling, um, that's fuel to to. Get you up and to keep you going. And I think that's a place of privilege during this time that we're very privileged to have the opportunity to do work like that. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of a starting point. That doesn't take away the challenges or the reality of anyone's individual circumstance and how hard it is and what people are going through. And so as a leader, I have certainly um, placed emphasis on leading from a place of empathy of uh, being vulnerable of sharing my own feelings and what i'm um, going through of being very supportive of the team we've done lots of different things from giving people more flexibility in their time and schedules to planning when meetings start and end in a day so that people can try and have some separation between their, their work time and their home time. Um, We've led with a kind of a mantra at the foundation that we've called progress over perfection. Mm. It is a recognition that we're just trying to move forward one day at a time. Everything is not going to be perfect. It can't be in this environment but let's just try and move forward and do the best that we can. And I think that that kind of idea of progress over perfection, one day at a time, a lot of communication of reiterating messages um, and being vulnerable in those messages has really um, helped the team. When we look at, for example, the COVID-19 resource hub that I mentioned earlier, um, more than half a million Canadians have turned to those resources during the pandemic. Wow, that's
0: incredible. So you it's think of incredible. all these people, yeah, that you're helping. And, you know, like you said, you wake up in the morning. I know certainly, you know, after I quit my job, I wake up and I'm, you have a purpose. Like you have to get up because you need to do something, right? And so for everybody on your team that is making such an impact, it's, it's phenomenal.
1: Yeah. And as as I said, like that, that really helps, I think, for most of us, if we can, you know, follow that advice that so many people offer of, you know, really grounding yourself in a place of gratitude of Mm -hmm. doing something today, that has a positive impact for another person. If you can take those steps, then, you know, that is really helpful. Again, it doesn't mean that people aren't struggling because they are for lots of different reasons, and and that's why putting various supports in place, um, whether it's you know access to tools and care and um, that that team members might need, that's also been there as well. Um, for me personally, continuing to make time for regular exercise for mindfulness, all of these things can really help. And, and again, we, we, we really try to remind staff and encourage them to take advantage of these types of, of tools and resources
0: hmm. That's amazing. Well, I think, you know, you're such an incredible example of a person, uh, purpose driven leader. And I think the fact that the empathy is so important and the, the fact that you can be real about how you're feeling allows and almost gives permission for others to be like, that's OK. And I can share that. I think that, you know, certainly any leaders that are listening now, I think that's one thing that's needed so much during this time would you say?
1: I absolutely agree and in fact um, we've created um, a a group of business leaders for mental health action and we held a summit of about 80 c-suite executives from across the country last week and one of the key messages from that conversation was exactly your point Jennifer it is How do you, as a leader, show up, communicate openly and vulnerably? And when you do that, it creates psychological safety that makes it okay for staff to come forward and share what they're going through. We cannot underestimate, particularly in a workplace context, how important that is, because the data all shows very clearly that um, employees worry about sharing their mental illness because of the belief that that will have an implication for how they are viewed at their job. And so people hold back from talking about it. Having visible role models, having senior executives, having CEOs of organizations share their stories, their personal stories and struggles is huge in terms of what that means for other individuals. So um, I couldn't agree with you more about how important that is and, and one of the messages that I hope people will take away.
0: And, you know, we're, I could talk to you for hours, but one of the, um, I was, so I want to get a couple of key questions in, you know, for any women that are listening that are maybe, uh, you know, in the beginning or the starting points of their career, and they're kind of finding themselves wanting to grow their career, but at this difficult time in history, what advice do you have for them? Um,
1: You know, in, in some respects, probably my advice is not very different than what it would be if we were able to connect in person. And and that is um, to remember the importance of investing in relationships and reaching out and connecting to people, whether it's mentors or sponsors that you have, but investing time in those relationships Learning, asking for help, asking for opportunities—all um, of those things that I would encourage, you know, women to do. If they could meet for coffee somewhere, right. do it virtually. This is this is not a time um, where you want to be where you where you don't want to be making yourself visible and present um, to those who can offer support and advice um, in advancing your career. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, have courage and confidence um, in yourself and your abilities. And if you see opportunities that you think are the right ones for you, you know, this is a a time to go for it. Make changes. I mean, I've heard so many people who have started jobs during the pandemic and haven't met their teams, you know, in person or any of those things. Um, it can happen um, and does happen and has happened. And, and there's lots of good and successful examples of where it has. So, um, again, pay some attention to the organization you're joining, what onboarding processes might be, etc. But um, continue to advance your career and do the things that you would do if we weren't um, living over <laughs> Zoom.
0: And what, what other final question, what other um, passions or, you know, things do you have you envisioned for yourself in the future that you still are excited to tackle?
1: (laughs) You know what, I'm I'm at this stage of life where I'm starting to look forward to my retirement and, uh, and, and to have more time, uh, just to enjoy life. Um, You know, I I think that it's I'm I'm like anyone, your your life is in different phases. I will always be looking for ways to contribute and make a difference in my community on issues that I care about. And and I expect in my next phase, uh, whenever that comes, that there'll be more of more of those kinds of opportunities for me. Um, We're at a really exciting point uh, for CAMH and the work that we're doing right now. So I'm excited about the next years ahead and continuing to advance breakthroughs in research that make a significant difference in our understanding of the brain and treatment, um, personalized treatment for those living with mental illness so that people get better faster, um, and have the opportunity to recover and live full lives. We have a lot of work to do. um, And so that that's really exciting and motivating to me to have a chance to do that. So um, that's, uh, that's what's on my mind um, is um, we're living in the midst of a mental health pandemic. Frankly, Mm -hmm. we were long before COVID-19. It is going be further exacerbated. um, We really need to lean in. Mm -hmm. And I hope that um, the level of understanding that has emerged about mental illness during this time Mm -hmm. will mean that the world will lean in that, that people will say we really need to pay attention and to do things differently. And to raise the funds to support the research to support the quality of care that patients deserve because you know, as as you said early in our conversation mental health is health there yeah. can be no health without yeah. mental health and we need to put mental health at, at the very center of our healthcare conversation so i'm passionate and excited about that work and opportunity and and really, continuing, I hope to to lead a conversation um, with Canadians and
0: around the world about this issue. And what can people do then if they want to help you on the mission? You know, like well,
1: there's lots of things that they can Perfect. do. I can I'll give you one really fun example. One of the uh, most recent fundraising initiatives that we launched is called the Sunrise Challenge. And I love the Sunrise Challenge um, as an idea. It's asking people to get up with the sun every day for a week to capture pictures of a sunrise or your coffee cup or your your alarm clock and share it on social media. And just as you would ask friends to sponsor you to do a 10K run, you ask them to sponsor you to get up really early every day for a week. Um, It's a fun way to be part of a community. um, To be part of a community, to say that um, working to bust stigma and to give people hope for another day is something that you're part of and you're committed to. And so... For me, as I say, there's both the part of that that's about raising funds that allows us to do the important work we do. But the important part of this is what's the message that gets sent when hundreds or thousands of people say, I care enough to do this and I want to be part of a community and I want to do something positive and optimistic and send a message to those who are living with mental illness. I think it's really cool. And I, and I really believe that this is a moment where we all need something hopeful and optimistic and positive to do um, that we can do with others in a fun and safe way and do something good in the
0: world. I like that. And you know what, anybody that knows me, I'm not a morning person, but you know what, I'm <laughs> going to take on that challenge. <laughs> and I'm going to, I'm going to challenge my closest friends as well, because I love that. I love the optimism of like a new day, a fresh start, no matter what cr- crappy day you had, you start fresh and, you know, and just the idea of people, I think that's more money and more support and more attention needs to go to mental health cuz like you said if you don't have that you don't have anything
1: absolutely and i i love exactly that you've described this like wake up positively to live another day I and mean, we we've been running our not suicide not today campaign since last fall just such an incredibly important issue and topic to draw attention to and so In in some ways that's also what we're trying to do is to say another day, like wake up another day and you know do something positive for yourself and your mental health and keep going. And there's a community of people around you to say you're not alone, Mm -hmm. people care, we're together. Um, and, uh, and, and we hope it'll, it'll be inspiring to a lot of people to participate. So your friends and family, knowing that you're not a morning person, Jennifer, <laughs> they'll like, they'll want to sponsor you because yeah, they'll they're say. are going to have can... to
0: come with the big bucks. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah. You want to see me up at the crack of dawn? You're going to have to pay. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> That's amazing. I, I'm serious. We are going to do that for sure, and uh, and hopefully everybody's going to join us in that because I think that just helps spread the word. And it gets it's actually something fun you can do during COVID, right?
1: Yeah, we all need something fun and positive to do right now.
0: Yeah, I'd, I'll end with one final thing that I uh, I'll share that I do with my son. He's eight, um, and at the end of every single evening I give him two crystals or stones and uh, I'll lay in bed with him trying to get him to sleep and I'll give him one and he'll hold it in his hand and I'll say what are you grateful for and then I'll give him a second and ask him what he's grateful for and I think it's also recognizing and being grateful would you say for even just some of the small things the fact that we survived a day of homeschooling and having meetings (laughs) and (laughs) And the doorbell not ringing during a podcast, you know, things like that, right?
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Um, I love that. I love that you're instilling that in your son. Um, And, you know, as I said earlier, I think that if we can approach each day with that spirit of gratitude, and it doesn't have to be for a big thing, it can be just for getting through the day, as you said, um, that just changes our mindset and orientation and I hope helps us carry on for the next day when yeah. you know there'll be something else to be grateful for and you know I, I recognize um, the privileged position that I'm in in doing the kind of work that I do. I'm enormously grateful for it every day and the opportunity as I said um, just to I hope make a difference uh, for someone who, we may never know that this is the particular moment where someone needs help um, and needs to know that they're not alone. So that's a pretty cool thing to get to do.
0: Well, thank you so much. And thank you to your entire team for being there and for creating all of those resources. We're going to definitely make them available and promote them uh, along with this podcast because I think that you know even if you're not struggling today being able to read the read through the site and and gain knowledge in that you will have that insight for when the day comes you might need to or want to help somebody else thank you thanks for listening to the women leadership nations breaking barriers podcast if you enjoyed today's episode please subscribe And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at latticerjennifer and visit us on our website at www.womenleadershipnation.com. Together, we can keep breaking barriers.